Well, I, I talked to several of you coming in today. You might not know this, but it is not officially fall, but it sure feels like fall. And with fall comes pumpkin spice lattes, coffees of different sorts. And so there are some in this room who are enjoying and embracing the fall. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I love all kinds of food and beverages, and I like them at different times of the year. So probably most of you who have a pumpkin spice latte today may not drink it in April. You usually drink it in September and October. There are certain food experiences that are seasonal, at least for us living in Pennsylvania. For example, like I like beef stew or pot roast all times of the, the year, but I really like it on a cold January day when it's snowy and really miserable outside. It tastes all the better. Well, one of my favorite food experiences is eating a perfectly ripe peach room temperature in August. And it just does something to my taste buds and to my entire body as I enjoy and taste that peach. It's an explosion of flavor that um, just happens at the, the perfect time. Now, I would like a peach in different parts of the year, but, but it's nothing like eating a room, and the key is room temperature, a room temperature peach in August on a beautiful, hot, sunny day. It's an explosion of flavor. Well, this morning, when we, we're going to jump into 1 Peter, and we're going we're gonna to pick up the pace today, and we're, Lord willing, going to go through the whole chapter of chapter 1. But the first six verses are really this, this explosion of spiritual goodness, this explosion of these grand truths that if we get our minds around as Christians, they, they should so blow you away and encourage you and transform you. Now, you can't tell by looking at your English Bible that verses 3 through 9 are just one big, giant, run-on sentence. So in your Bible, it has periods um, and and capital letters that start new thoughts, but in the original language in Greek, this was one giant sentence that the Apostle Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit with one primary aim, which was to encourage Christians that were scattered in what is modern-day Turkey. And they were under the threat of suffering and persecution and being ostracized for the Christian faith. And so imagine that's you, and you receive this letter from none other than the Apostle Peter, who had been really well known in the early church. And he's going to have a lot of instruction throughout the letter, but he begins with just this relentless explosion of encouragement. So let's read verses 3 through 9, and then we'll kind of walk through it a little slowly. He begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, 
if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The big idea for this message today is that since we have been made alive to a living hope, we must live for him. Since we have been made alive, since we have been caused to be born again, the only proper response is a life lived for him. So we're going to start with all these incredible truths that happen to those of you who trust in Jesus Christ. Before I begin, though, can I tell you how happy it is to hear little voices in this room? There were months where I was preaching to this camera with nobody in this room. So may there be a thousand babies crying in this room. It is a blessing and a gift that um, I think I've taken for granted over the years. So babies cry away is what I say. So back into point number one. We have been born to a living hope. We have been born to a living hope. Look at verse three again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first thing we see here, the first incredible truth Peter wants his audience to hear is that they have been born again, made alive spiritually by the Holy Spirit and been born to a living, present hope. Not just a future hope, but a present, active, living hope. The Apostle Paul said it this way, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when you were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In other words, when you were flatlined spiritually, when there was no life in you, spiritually speaking, God, the God of heaven and earth, the God of mercy, caused you to be born again. He gave you spiritual life. And then then your spiritual life began to beat and grow strong. That is a gift of undeserved mercy from him. One of the consequences, positive consequences of being born again is that you were made new. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done in the past, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are an entirely new creation. Being transformed from the inside out. See, remember, the Apostle Peter, he's writing to a primarily Gentile audience. And we know from the, just studying the culture of the time 
that many of these Gentile now Christians, they did a lot of bad things. And they were enslaved to all kinds of passions and desires. And now as suffering and persecution and hardship is upon them, they may have been tempted to go back to their sinful pursuits of their past. And Peter wants them to be reminded, no, you have been made alive. You've been born again to a living hope. So if you're a Christian, here's what it means for you. You have two birthdays. You have the day that you were born on your birth certificate. So my birth certificate says August 21st, 1976. That's the day I was born. Then if you have trusted in Christ, if you've turned from your sins and put your faith in Jesus, you have a second birthday. Some of us in this room know that exact date, and some are more like me. I, I, was, I was born again in January 1996, sometime in the middle of the month. I'm not sure exactly when, but it happened, and it was powerful. And God's Spirit came inside of me and made me alive. He made me new. Now, if you are new to trusting in Jesus, if you've recently turned from your sins and trusted in Him, you might be thinking, you look in the mirror, it's the same you. Inside it, times feels like a new you, and at times feels like a, an old you, and, and it can be confusing. Well, rather than looking inside over and over and over again, look outside. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to what He has done. Have you turned and forsaken your former ways and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? See, we have been born again to a living hope. And when you have been born again, made alive to a living hope, there is new power and new life in you to obey the King of Kings. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. So your spiritual union with Christ, the moment you trusted in Him, you were united with Christ, the old you died, and by God's Spirit, the new you was made alive. And with the new you, there is now power to walk in newness of life. It is a supernatural power to say no to your old passions and desires. You don't have to give in to them any longer. Now you might be thinking, but they feel so real and they feel so strong. You're sinful passions and desires. And you might think at times, I know I've trusted in Jesus. I know I've turned from my sins. But boy, is there a war within me that feels like it is stronger than God's Spirit in you. What do you do? Well, let me, let me help you with an illustration. When I was in high school and college, when I was home from college, I worked at a grocery store called Festival Foods. And I started that job when I was 15 years old. And when I was 15, I was snarky, smart aleck, terrible employee, all those things, but I got a job. And so we, we had a boss, and if you work in retail at all, they say never tell people to go to another store. Well, one day a lady came to the store, and she wanted 
um, meat from the deli, and I was working the deli, and it was closed. It was closing. And so I told her that, and she got really mad. And so I, I broke and did the cardinal sin. I said, you know what, ma'am? Why don't you go to another store? And we'll be happy. You'll be happy. You'll get what you want, and I'll be happy because you won't be bothering me. I didn't say that part, but I was thinking it. Well, that gets you a sit-down with the, the big manager of the grocery store and gets you an official write-up in your file. Well, over the years, fortunately, I became a better employee and eventually met the Lord at the age of 19 and continued my job and was in good standing. But every time I would see that particular manager for the entire time, it would just make me nervous. It would do something inside of me. It would scare the, the daylights out of me. He was a, a man who had authority over me, and he could have rightly fired me on that day. Well, years after, I would continue to go to that grocery store because it was right by where my, my dad lived, and I'd still see the man. I'd see the manager. And when I'd see him, I'd have the same internal feelings. But then I'd think, this man has no authority over me whatsoever. The feelings are just like they were before. But the truth of the situation is, he no longer has any authority over me. That's the same way with your sinful desires and passions. Once you trust in Jesus, they may rage, they may feel strong as all get out. But if you are a new creation, they cannot rule you. Now, if you feed them, they will grow. But if you starve them, they will shrink. You have been born again to a living hope. Now Peter's going to tell us some details about this living hope. So we have been born again to a living hope. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you are in Christ, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for you. Let's, let's think about these a little more. Our inheritance in Jesus Christ is imperishable. It's imperishable. So, for those of you who are college students who have roommates, think of that, that jug of milk that has a date on it, a date of expiration. You see it getting further and further past the date, and you're thinking, should I go for it or not? You give it the smell test, smells okay. You try, but eventually it will perish. It will spoil. Our spiritual inheritance will not perish. It will not spoil. It is safe and secure. Our inheritance is unfading. It will not grow stale. It will not get old. I, I think of all the, the birthday and Christmas presents that I dreamed about and begged my parents for um, since I was very young. I think of like my G.I. Joe guys and, and my He-Man. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, I understand that if you did, you probably weren't allowed to play with He-Man, but we were my action figures, my, my bicycles, my mountain bike, my rollerblades, my skateboards, all the things that I meditated on and begged my parents for. I don't have any of them anymore. Oh, I have some G.I. Joes that are broken and some Star Wars guys. Um, but, but they're faded. They're, they're, they're out of date. They're, they're not excited. I don't, I don't dream about them anymore. Well, our inheritance is going to be brilliant and beautiful. We are joint heirs with Jesus himself. So we're not like second-tier recipients of our spiritual inheritance. We are right on peer with Jesus himself. 
That's amazing. It's unfading. Our inheritance, I skipped one, is undefiled. Nothing can spoil our spiritual inheritance. There's not going to be an inheritance tax. We're like, oh, I thought I was getting this, and now I only get this. There's not going to be any family disputes that I once was in the will, and now I thought I was in the will, and now my name's not in the will anymore, and I get absolutely nothing. No, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are safe and secure. He will watch over you. He will keep you, which brings us to the next verse. Who by God's power are being guarded through the faith through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. We are being kept and guarded. We are being protected and preserved by none other than the Lord Himself. Guarded through faith as we trust in Him for salvation ready to be revealed. So there's no confusion here. When the New Testament talks about being saved or salvation, um, there's at least three primary uses of it. So we are saved, rescued, the moment we trust in Jesus. That's a true statement. You are saved. You have eternal life, like John 3.16 says, the moment you believe in Jesus. You are being saved, meaning you are, you are being transformed into the image of God. And that, that process will happen the entire Um, length of the moment you trusted in Jesus until you either die or Jesus comes back. You're going to experience more freedom, more transformation, more um, conformity into his image. And then ultimately, the Bible tells us that we will one day be saved, meaning if we are a ship out at sea our entire life in the storms of life getting knocked all around, one day we'll we'll go right into the port and we'll be safe and secure. And so we will ultimately be saved. So it's a true statement to say as a Christian, I am saved, I'm being saved, and one day I will ultimately be saved. If that confuses you, we'd love to talk to you more about that. But the first part of this verse should so encourage you. Who by God's power are being guarded. See, our, our confidence shouldn't be in the strength of our faith. See, some of us, maybe all of us at times, our faith, if we're, we're thinking like a faith meter, it goes up and down. It, it jumps all around. Or if you're checking the, the temperature of your faith, I, I believe, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe he died for me. I believe he's going to be faithful. I believe he's going to take care of all my friends. I'm not sure about me, though. So you, your faith kind of jumps around. Do not keep taking the temperature of your faith Look outward to Jesus. Look outward to his word. Remember and memorize and meditate on all of his many, many promises. And as you do, what will happen is your faith will grow stronger. Your confidence will grow deeper in the Lord and his word. But if you're just always thinking, do I believe this? Do I not believe this? I'm not sure if I believe that. I think I believe this. I'm not sure. That doesn't grow your faith. That just makes you depressed and scared and anxious. Look outward towards the Lord. There's this wonderful verse at the end of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless 
before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. So we're going to give praise to the one who is able to keep you. Trust in him. Now Peter knew that the people that he was writing to, that though all these spiritual things were true of them, their life was difficult and about to get more difficult. And I said this last week, but if you're not familiar with the time period that that Peter is writing, most likely he wrote this letter right before Nero torched Rome. Um, According to history, he he lit about two-thirds of Rome on fire so that he could build more buildings. And that wasn't real popular as the word got out, so he decided to blame Christians for that. And as he blamed Christians, persecution just went crazy towards those who trusted in Christ. And so he knows there's persecution happening, and probably in the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, he knows it's going to get worse. And so he writes verse 6 and 7 to encourage them. In this you rejoice. In this being, we have been born again to a living hope. In that we rejoice. Nothing can ever take that truth away from you if you're in Christ. No matter what happens in your life. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this we rejoice, in the reality of being made a new creation, in the reality of having King Jesus as our King, of being part of His kingdom. In that, we rejoice. But as, as we all know, if, if you live long enough, we are going to experience the blessings and gifts of the Lord and the, the trials and pain that, that come with living in a fallen world. And all of us are going to experience those blessings and trials in varying degrees. And what he's trying to do, he's, he's trying to encourage them that when these tests come, and you pass the test, meaning you come out the other side and you still love Jesus, trust in Jesus, want to follow Jesus, want to obey Jesus, that should be a huge encouragement to you. It's meant to encourage you. I think, just thinking of this room right now, there are so many of you that have passed so many of life's difficult trials and tests, and you still love Jesus. You still sing to Jesus. You still worship Jesus. You should be encouraged by that. It's it's proof of the genuineness of your faith that you indeed were born to a living hope. What's really clear in the entire Bible is that God's people are always called to live by faith and not by sight. We're called to live by trusting in Him as revealed in this book and not by what we see with our eyes. So look at verse 8. 
and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Listen to that. Though you have not seen him with your own eyes, this is true for you. You love him. You love him. You haven't seen him, but you love him. Be encouraged by that. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. See, that is living by faith. You believe in Jesus and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So contrast that idea that he's writing to the Gentile Christians that are scattered throughout modern-day Turkey with just our our modern-day world that we live in. Think about how many people live by sight and not by faith. They live by what they see with their eyes. They, They live by what they experience in their life. And if you do that, if your life is shaped by news, news cycles, Twitter feeds, um, your personal experience of hardship, and that's it. Here's what your life is going to be like. It's going to be like the craziest roller coaster that you could ever imagine. You're going to go around in circles. You're going to be flipped upside down. It's going to stop. You're going to feel like you're going to vomit, and then it's going to pick up again, and you're going to go up, then you're going to go down, and then you're going to twist all around. If you live that way, that you put your hope in what you see, with your eyes, it's going to be miserable. If, in contrast, you live the way Peter is calling the recipients to live, by faith, by trusting in the living God who will be faithful no matter what happens. He will be faithful no matter what happens, no matter how worked up news feeds get, no matter how worked up our country gets, no matter how worked up our world gets, God knows exactly what he's doing. And we can trust him. And he calls us to walk by faith. And when Peter's writing this, he's not writing this as a new idea. He wants the, the, the recipients to know, and he wants us to know, that it was always God's plan to send Jesus to rescue people for himself. This was planned and predicted long before Jesus came to earth. Uh, Look at verses 10 and following. Second point, we trust in the one the prophets proclaimed. We trust in the one that the prophets proclaimed. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, a future generation, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things to which angels long to look. In other words, the good news that Peter's recipients received and the good news that we receive, the angels themselves 
longed to see this story unfold. They longed to see Jesus come to earth. And he came. These verses can kind of be summarized like this. The Old Testament prophets taught the doctrine of salvation. They taught that God was going to rescue his people. Isaiah 53 is probably the clearest description of that. The Old Testament prophets researched and investigated the subject of salvation. They were writing about a future Messiah that was to come. One that was going to be greater than King David. One that King David himself referred to as Lord while he was writing the Psalms. The Old Testament prophets painstakingly tried to determine the time and circumstances to which the Spirit pointed. The Old Testament prophets, through the Spirit, predicted Christ's suffering and glory. See, to be part of God's chosen people, His elect exiles in the world, means that we are inevitably linked to the Old Testament believers. So it's one big grand story. And we came in through Jesus Christ, which is the way everybody comes in. Jew and Gentile. Well, you might be thinking, well, that's sort of interesting, I guess, if you like Bible history. But what, what does it matter? Well, here's what it matters. Just like this happens over the, the centuries. So if you, if you study battles for the Bible, you can really pick a, a century and there was a battle for the Bible. There's big battles for the Bible in the, the 1800s. There were big battles about the truthfulness of Scripture in the, the 1900s. We are in another time when this book is being questioned. Is it trustworthy? Is it authoritative? Can we really be confident in all 66 books of the Bible? And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things, if you read the entire Bible, and you read it carefully, you will see this 66 books put together as one whole book in one big grand story that is so consistent and so encouraging and so unique to any and all books in the world. This book can be completely trusted. And so if you have questions about that, we as pastors will want to help you. And, and there are good answers to all the objections that, that come. But we don't want to miss that the prophets wrote in very great detail about the Messiah would come, and Jesus fulfilled it every step of the way. You can trust him. You can trust the Bible. Final point. We, we receive this truth as Christians. We've been born again to a living hope. We have an inheritance that will never be taken away from us. All of that is meant to do something in our lives. It's meant to change us, which is the final point. We must live in such a way that our life matches our profession. We must live in such a way that our life matches our profession. Our profession meaning, I'm a Christian. Jesus is my Lord and King. See, I could tell you, Jesus is my Lord and King. Leave this building and go do whatever I want. And then you might say, you sure? You sure Jesus is your Lord and King? I heard your profession, but your actions seem out of step with your profession. 
We must live in such a way that our life matches our profession. This isn't to earn our salvation. We received it as a free gift. But if God's Spirit is inside of you, you're to be different. You're going to grow and you're going to change. doesn't mean you won't get tangled up at times, but there will be God's Spirit convicting you and springing you out of traps. And there should be a growing progression of life that is evident in you. And see, Peter's writing this out of care for them. It's, it's, as I said earlier, it's, it's really common when we are under life's pressures to go to sinful vices. It is, it is just a human condition problem that is true for non-Christians and is very true for Christians as well. So if alcohol was a vice before you met the Lord, it is very common for people to go back and get drunk when pressure comes as Christians. If, if other drugs were a vice, if sexual immorality was a vice, when pressure comes... Do you go to your functional God, or do you go to the true God? See, Peter knows as a pastor and as an apostle, these are real temptations. He knows as a Christian man, these are real temptations. So he wants to close with reminding them. Look at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We must set our hope on future grace. We must have our sight on that final day. We must have our sight on the the fact that the king is going to return. And when the king returns, we want to be doing the king's work. We don't want to be in the playground of the king's enemy when he returns. Paul says it this way, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We must not return to our sinful passions. Must not. Must not. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't go back. Do not go back. Don't go back. Some of you have gone back. What you need to do is you need to come clean with the Lord and with a trusted Christian friend. I've gone back. I'm I'm living on both sides of this fence here. I need help. And you know what Jesus will do? He'll help you. He'll free you. He'll pour his love upon you. Depending on what you've done, he might spank you hard. He might discipline you. If he does discipline you, see it as an expression of his love. If we are not ever disciplined when we go out of God's circle of obedience, then we would think, does he really love us? I mean, all of us who have kids especially when they were younger, if they did something that was dangerous to them, that was unhealthy for them, we would discipline them. Not because we hate them, but because we love them. God's the same way. If you've stepped out of obeying Him, but you are a Christian, in His love, He will discipline you. There will be 
consequences so that you get back on track, so that you don't ever go back again. See, he loves you. Verse 15 says it this way, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We must be holy in our, con- in our conduct, in the way that we live. See, He is holy, we should be holy. And we need His Spirit to help us to do that. And He's going to help you. Some of you may be so discouraged by this battle within, and you feel like, ah, I don't know if I'll ever make it. You will make it. Follow his plan. His plan is when you struggle, bring it out into the light. Confess it. Bring others with you into the struggle. Isolation is one of the greatest tactics of our enemy, Satan, and his minions, demons, is get them isolated. One of my concerns and our concerns pastorally has been with COVID is Christians, and this isn't just true of our church, this is true of um, all the different pastors I've talked to in this area, Christians just get isolated. And as you get isolated, things start to get twisted in your mind and heart, and you, you, things get distorted. And, and one of the things, the blessings of bringing others into our lives is we can walk in the light. They can remind us of the truths of God's word. They can remind us God's going to help us. He's going to be for us. So we who identify as Christians, that's your profession, must live as God's ransomed and redeemed. Look at verses 17 through 21. So if Christian is what you go by, and I hope that's what you go by, you must live as God's ransomed and redeemed. Verse 17, And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of exile. Kind of a, a word in a way we don't think about, but if, if you call God Father, in other words, you've trusted in His Son and He's adopted you as His son or daughter, God is your, your Father. You're, you're to live in such a way that you fear Him, not in a way that He is going to eternally punish you because He poured out His wrath on Jesus. So that's not going to happen if you're a Christian. But fear in such a way that He is holy, and awesome, and he sees all, and he knows all. And as a good father, he wants you to stay on the path of following Jesus, the path of obedience, which is where all the joy will be. The lie of sin is that joy is going to happen if I do this in secret over here. Having done that and seen that play out in other Christians' lives, There's no joy there. There's misery. There's regret. There's shame. There's guilt. All the freedom comes with living before the living God in reverence for Him. One of the verses that has helped me to turn away from sin more than any other in the entire Bible, and I memorized this early on, I forget the references in Proverbs, is the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. God sees all and knows all. 
if we really believe that in the moment, it will have such a healthy, restraining effect on our lives. So, if you call yourself Christian, let's, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live as God's ransomed and redeemed. We have been born to an imperishable hope, a hope that that will not disappear. Look at verses 22 and following. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, all flesh, all humans, it's like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flowers falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. See, the primary mark of a Christian is love. should be a sincere brotherly or sisterly love, a love for one another out of an earnest, pure heart. If you get your mind around the incredible amount of love that you have been on the receiving end of because of what Jesus has done for you, we should be the most loving, merciful people to others. It should be the mark of our profession of faith. Now, love at times can be tough love. Just like God the Father disciplines those he loves, if you have a Christian friend and you confess something to them, and they, with a loving rebuke, give you a slap in love, that's, that's an expression of love. Don't do that again. They love you. If they say, oh, no big deal, go do it again. That's not love. So love is this devotion and commitment to one another. Lastly, we must live in such a way that our life matches our profession. So that's the big idea of this third point. We have to to match. It's not going to be perfect, but there should be a growing, a growing reality that if you tell somebody you're a Christian and they say, no way, never saw it, never imagined it, couldn't believe it, uh, that's something's off there. If you tell somebody you're a Christian and they say, oh, I I thought you were. I thought you were. I was pretty sure you were. Well, that should be an encouragement. See, we have been born again to a living hope and consequently we should live for him. So let's pray. And Before I pray, we have a prayer team that's going to come up right at the end and we want to pray for you. We, We want you to experience God's grace and spirit moving through prayer and through the encouragement of dear men and women who love you. So I would encourage you, if you have any area of your life that you need prayer for, please come up. Young adults, um, not sure of the weather, so if it's not raining, go outside. If it is raining, enjoy lunch on us in the lobby. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. And thank you that you are changing us and growing us. And Holy Spirit, I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't yet know you. Would you please open their eyes to see how awesome and wonderful 
and incredibly merciful and loving you are. Give them power to turn from their sins and trust in Jesus as their substitute. Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.